2: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we hear my conversation with 1992 Olympic gold medalist and world champion figure skater Christy Yamaguchi, recorded last week as part of KQED's Forum Live series of in-person events. We talked about winning the gold medal and her work on children's literacy, anti-Asian racism, and the scandals and global turmoil that plagued this year's Winter Olympics and are now affecting the Paralympic Games, which have just begun. In a last-minute change, Russian athletes will not be allowed to compete. Join my conversation with Christy Yamaguchi after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Christy Yamaguchi, she's the U.S. champion and two-time world champion figure skater who won the gold medal at the 1992 Olympic Games in Albertville, France, inspiring many skaters, including Asian-American figure skaters, ever since. I sat down with the California native last week at KQED headquarters in San Francisco as part of our Forum Live series of in-person and live-streamed interviews, and we began by talking about how the Olympics was usually a moment of global togetherness But that world events and the doping issues involving Russian figure skaters weighed on our minds. I asked Yamaguchi whether she'd been able to watch the performances of U.S. skaters and enjoy the Olympics just the same.
3: So definitely watching, for sure, every Olympic Games that comes along. uh, Always an avid fan of all the athletes and especially figure skating. So, uh, you know, so great to see uh, so much success of all the skaters, a lot of historical Performances were performed, and uh, you know so great to seeing Nathan Chen yeah. capture that gold medal uh, for the men 's figure skating and uh, you know lots of other interesting stuff going on <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think it was all in all like the the u s team did an incredible job you know even competing together as a team, um, making the podium yeah. we, we don 't know what color the medal is yet, but um, for sure silver, possibly gold. Uh, we'll, we'll see.
2: Yeah. You know, there was like this joke in my house about Nathan Chen where like every time we said said his name, we would say, and do you remember Pyeongchang? Because we were making no. fun of how any time Nathan Chen's name was mentioned, they would constantly refer back to the 2018 Winter Olympics where I thought he did really well. He may have been, you know, expected to do more, but I thought like what is that, that pressure like your first time out in the Olympics and, and that being something that you have to redeem yourself from? Yeah, that was a tough yeah. one
3: for him. I mean, there were a lot of expectations on him. Mind you, he was going up against the reigning Olympic champion, Izuru Hanyu from Japan. So, you know, it was like hopeful for a medal. And when he just missed the podium, um, you know, I think it was just like, oh, we know the potential is there. Yet he was only 18. So, um, you know, the last four years, he's just been so incredibly dominant in men's figure skating, uh, just elevating it to a level that I'm, it's going to take a a long time for even his other competitors to get to that level that he's skating at. Um, so I think it was just a huge, um, you know, everyone was just rooting for him. So yeah. it was just great to see it. it, it not, I don't want to say finally happen because he's, you know, 22 is only his second appearance. And right. So to see, it, you know, his dreams come true there.
2: Yeah. And then also the performances of our Bay Area, Karen Chen, Alyssa Liu. And I know that you've done mentorship as well and played and been involved in their in their development and their in their careers and their competitive, like them getting out there and and competing at this level. What is it that you you try to tell them or instill in them when they're competing at this level and the pressure is just so intense?
3: Yes, well, I always so conscious of not saying the wrong thing to them, (laughs) Um, but it's, you know, I've known Karen Chen since she was 12. That was the first time I had gone out to see her. People have been telling me about this young skater from Fremont, which was also my hometown, so, um, you know, when I first saw her skate in, in the practice rink, I was just amazed. And from that time on, you know, I just had an open door for her and her family, uh, you know, for questions and guidance, whatever. Um, and, you know, this this year going into the U.S. championships before she actually was named to the U.S. Olympic team, she had reached out and I was like, oh, I was just thinking about you. I was going to reach out and just, you know, yeah. see how you're doing. And um, she's like, yeah, I just you know, want some last minute words of wisdom with my confidence and, you know, what to really think about or what helped you, uh, you know, under these wow. circumstances. So we had a great conversation and she's just so open to hearing and learning and, you know, she's worked hard for the, that moment. So I was really proud of her, yeah. you know, just to see her go out there and, um, make the team and then, you know, and compete in, in Beijing.
2: Can I ask what you told her?
3: Yes, I mean it's, you know, I think she was worried about certain her confidence and maybe you know staying, knowing she can do it in practice. So how does she translate that into uh, the competition when she's nervous? And you know, I've you know I've always told her keep telling yourself the positive things. It's mm. always the negative things that keep popping into your mind before you go out to compete. Like, oh no, what if I fall or what if this happens? And, and it's like trying to just bring that positive talk into your yeah. mind frame, like skate fast, bend your knees, you know, check the right arm, whatever it is. I said, whatever it is your coach tells you is kind of those key things, you know, keep that going on and, and visualize. You know, I think visualization is powerful Um, as you're mentally preparing to go out and face something pretty big. And um, so, yeah, And, and have fun. You know, I said, you've worked hard, you've earned it. And just know, like, you've put the work in, let that bring you confidence that you're ready for this moment.
2: You know, what I always wonder is that moment when a skater goes out, and they're alone on the ice, and the music hasn't started yet. And they're, you know, in whatever position they are in to start their performance before the judges, Mm -hmm. I always wonder, like, what are they saying to themselves in that moment? (laughs) And so now that I have you, an Olympic champion, who had that moment on the ice, I'm so curious, like, what do you say to yourself?
3: I think I was taking deep breaths and, like, that last big breath and waiting for the music to start. And, um, you know, I think one thing might, Coach Christine S. had always said to me, it was like one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, as you're going out to skate, you have probably 15, 20 elements that you need to get through. And you know, there's no use looking at number 15, because then, you know, nothing's going to happen before that. So get through each element one thing at a time. So it was just like, okay, one thing at a time, <laughs> listen to the music. And there's something comforting once your music starts, because it's something you've heard day after day through the entire year. And it's almost like putting your body in autopilot and letting it go um, for with what it's trained to do
2: yeah well what does i mean when you think about the 1992 olympic games (laughs) like what what are some of your strongest memories what are some of the the things that always come back to you that really stand out to you about that experience
3: it was a while ago but there are (laughs) some there are some vivid memories and Um, I mean, for sure, the opening ceremonies, I think just the incredible pride and um, it's so humbling just being surrounded by so many amazing athletes that I looked up to from around the world. Um, And just the and I'm so sad that the Olympians this year didn't get to experience the similar the roar as you enter the arena when they announce like the United States of America. And it was just pretty awe-inspiring, and, you know, I think we were all stood up a little (laughs) taller and prouder at that moment, Um, but then, obviously, you know, the competition itself, um, some vivid memories, and then, actually, at the end, um, being announced Olympic gold medalist, and uh, having the podium moment.
2: Yeah, I I remember, um, like, your biggest competition was, like, Tanya Harding, and... (laughs) midori ito Mm -hmm. and nancy kerrigan and yes
3: (laughs) familiar names of those (laughs) three of
2: those three was there one that you really i don't want to say feared but like you know Uh, they could get in your head
3: midori ito for sure (laughs) she uh she was from japan and uh was kind of in, in line she she was Expected, In, yeah. Yes, expected to be at the top. She had the triple axel, which I was—I never mastered. So the talk, all leading into the Olympics, was the triple axel. She's going to do it. Tanya's going to do it. And um, you know, if that happens, you know what happens, you know, with the placements. So, um, but you know, Midori and I, for the few years leading up to the Olympics, I think had a great rivalry and I think we pushed each other in ways that made us both better. Um, she challenged me technically. I worked so hard to match her and even find a way to, um, match whatever her triple axle could bring as far as points and recognition. Uh, and then also, you know, play up my artistry because I think I was, I, I guess, categorized more as the artistic skater and, uh, kind of use that as my artwork. strength.
2: Yeah. Really yeah. complicated transitions you would do. And that sounds like it really made the difference. Well, I love the fact that you oh. brought a scrapbook here from your 1992 <laughs> Olympics and d- tell the story okay. of this scrapbook, which is like so nineties. So, like okay. awesome. It's, um, not digital,
3: and it's uh, my mom made it for me and it's all pictures and things she collected from either friends family uh, some that I took and so the front of it uh, you know has my picture with the gold medal and I mean she put a lot of work into this and I'm so glad you know at the time I was like wow, what is all that Um, so here we go the first page is kind of you know, tells a little bit of the story, American flag, there's a trading card. Uh, And then this is actually the long free program ticket the night I won uh, in Albertville. So yeah, I can't, I don't know how she was able to bring all of this stuff home. Um, Some articles from magazines and let's see, this one was my family actually at the Olympic Games uh, my sister Lori was there, my mom and dad. They're sitting with the president of US figure skating at the time. And um, I know my mom said she usually likes to sit by herself in the corner, far, far, far dark corner of the rink when I compete. Um, but they're like, no, Carol, you're sitting right here. So I don't think she actually watched me, but <laughs> she knows by audience reaction where the music is happening, if I've landed the jump oh my or not. Gosh. So I think, you know, at this point, they're just completely relieved.
2: I'm Mina Kim, and you're listening to my conversation with figure skater and Olympic gold medalist Christy Yamaguchi, taped on February 25th for KQED's Forum Live series. Stay tuned for more of our conversation, including one more scrapbook moment after a short break. This is Forum. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We continue my conversation with figure skater Christy Yamaguchi, taped last week as part of KQED's Forum Live series. Before the break, Christy was sharing moments from her 1992 Olympic scrapbook, which we'll hear more of now.
3: So this one is kind of a fun thing. Another name you might recognize. It's from Brian Boitano, another Bay Area Olympic champion. And we didn't have emails back then, but... <laughs> It's kind of in an email format. It was, a, it was actually electronic mail uh, that was only in-house within the Olympic Village. But wow. he I sent check. me this telegram or message after I had won. And it says, like, uh, there are three nevers in Hollywood <laughs> was the title. And he's like, your guide to be an Olympic champion. One, don't ever do Hollywood parties. <laughs> two don't ever think you're as great as everyone else thinks you are and three <laughs> he's like i sometimes hate this one always be nice to people because they don't understand when you have a bad day and you don't feel like gabbing with them so this is the gospel according to bb <laughs> so he he was uh such a huge role model and mentor um, oh. for me like through the years watching him go after that 88 gold medal. And uh, so, yeah, it just, it meant a lot
2: to hear from him. Yeah, that's so great. Well, thank you so much for bringing that. I love that so much. (laughs) One of the things you mentioned earlier was just sort of, I was thinking about the controversies that always surround every Olympics. And, you know, like I think shortly after that was the crazy sort of Tanya Harding, Nancy Mm -hmm. Kerrigan thing. But this Olympics was certainly not without Mm. a lot of controversy. And of course you were alluding to it earlier, Um, related to the Russian skater Kamila Valieva, who ended up testing positive for a banned substance. Mm -hmm. You had said that you were shocked that the Olympic, or the, it wasn't necessarily the Olympic Committee, but I guess there was like a court or like some um, uh, in between that made the ruling that she could then compete Mm -hmm. in the short and long, in the free skate. And I'm curious why, what it meant to you because to use the word shocked is a pretty strong word Mm -hmm. well
3: i think in every athlete's mind especially going into the olympic games um we all take the olympic athlete oath to compete you know on a fair playing field yeah they specifically added in without doping you know, it's sportsmanship and everything. So like
2: something where you like, you actually verbally. So in in
3: the opening ceremonies, when, after they raise the Olympic flag, uh, I think it's usually right before they light the cauldron, the athlete, the hosting country athlete is chosen and they raise the hand and recite the, this oath. Um, And it also includes officials and coaches. So athletes, officials and coaches to abide by this, Olympic oath and you take it to heart. And I think when you go into a competition, uh, obviously like the Olympics, you're expecting an equal playing field. And when there is an athlete that you know is uh, positive for a banned substance, then it's just, I think it just plays on the integrity of the Olympics and uh, it's just not fair for the, the other competitors. You know, it's a tough one because obviously she's 15. and I think all of us feel that it's not on her. It's on the team of people around her and the system around her. And you feel awful for what she had to endure because um, it, it was heartbreaking for sure. But again, you you can't have a positive athlete
2: competing. Yeah. Well, I think they may have learned that there was for people who watched the free skate she was able to compete in the short program and then again in the free skate and then um that was going to be determined the Mm. medal standings um you saw her break down when she didn't end up making the podium and you know for whatever reason even though she had been doing beautifully prior to all of that coming out Mm -hmm. clearly it affected her when she got out on the ice but the cameras were, were right there. And then they were even behind the scenes with the other mm-hmm. athletes, mm-hmm. her teammates, and they were, there were sobs. There was yeah. one yeah. teammate who was very upset. Um, yeah. what, what, did you, what was your reaction oh. when you saw that? I don't
3: know, you could ask me. <laughs> I, 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 it was tough. It was probably one of the hardest things I had ever watched in Olympic sport. And if you ask my husband, I was just sobbing on the couch watching this and the whole rest of my day I was just like in in a mood but um, heartbreaking because one what Camila had gone through and you know there was no way she was going to go out there and compete and skate like she can because of that incredible pressure on her and then just seeing the other competitors also break down once they were done because of their release of that, pre- being under that pressure too. I mean, it was a black cloud over everyone. Yes. Um, but I think the most heartbreaking thing was watching Sherbakova, who had just learned she won the Olympic gold medal. And she was, the cameras went to her. She was by herself holding her stuffed animal, looking like a lost, like she was completely lost. No one was around her congratulating her. And it was so sad because... Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think they needed to be put in that situation. And I think, um, you know, looking back at every Olympic champions moments, you know, the elation, just the pure joy, excitement, relief, there was none of that. And I think, uh, you know, having lived that moment, it just was, uh, so heartbreaking.
2: Well, um, well, I want to talk about, a happier seminal moment in (laughs) Olympic sports. And actually I I got that word from a Washington Post piece that I read about you. It was a long profile about you and it called your win a seminal moment for for America, for Americans and for Asian Americans. Um, I think you've talked about how proud you felt when I think Sports Illustrated did a cover of you and they said American Dream. Mm. And, um, you know, I've heard about how like, michelle kwan was inspired by you and then you know nathan was inspired by michelle kwan and they realized that like you were so pivotal in starting that sort of beautiful cascade i don't know how else to (laughs) describe it of like people being inspired to come into the sport and seeing themselves in the sport and able to win um and so, well, I, I'm curious how that makes you feel just in terms of that, right?
3: Uh, I mean, it, it's humbling because I think in the moment as a teenager, just going after my dreams, you, you don't think of that. And, right. you know, I, I am a California girl, just skating, doing my thing. Um, and I think it was not until after the Olympics when I started to... Um, realize that wow i'm getting a lot of support from the asian american community uh, and i think wow i i didn't realize how much this
2: meant to the asian american community um is the there success something I've that had. stands out like something that happened where you where it sort of hit you the how meaningful it was
3: i think it was just the outpouring of support and um in you know being invited to different events or, or whatever, uh, that were in the Asian American community and, um, you know, feeling intimidated, but then at the same, same time seeing the pride that they had, um, from my accomplishments. And it was just like, oh, and, you know, even when I took a deeper reflection into my own family history, you know, just appreciating, um, the sacrifices that you know my mom's generation and her parents, uh, and my dad's family went through, you know, to really allow me to live that
2: American dream. Yeah. When you say your own family history, do you mean the fact that you know your grandmother was incarcerated during World War II? Your your mother was born. Um, mm-hmm. in yeah. A, in I think Heart Mountain. Is that right? Uh, she was born in Amache, Col-
3: Colorado. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think I was literally one generation off from that generation that lost everything and yeah. had to completely rebuild their lives after the war and uh, find their way as Americans. Right. So I think the more I thought about that and I was just like, wow, yeah, I can see. Um, and, you know, it just makes me even more grateful for the generations before me that really paved the way.
2: Yeah. So who inspired you, who inspired you to be a figure skater or like, what was the moment <laughs> when you were like, I want to do this? Oh, and there you oh are. My goodness. How old are you here in this image was, that we're seeing?
3: I was probably about six or seven. Um, I started when I was six. Um, I still have this little dress. It's oh. polyester with little <laughs> white and blue flowers on it, but it's, um, I had seen a a local ice show at this rink. It's Southland rink that was at Hayward, the the in Hayward. And um, my sister was skating like group lessons there, but kind of wasn't her thing, so she quit. But, (laughs) you know, I always wanted to do the same thing my big sister did, so I want to try it. So we went, and I loved it, saw the ice show, and I think it was – the sequence probably that <laughs> really got me interested. And, uh, yeah. And I loved it from the very start. And I re- just remember that after that first time asking my mom, okay, when are we going back? When are we going back? And why do I have to keep turning the skates in? Those are my skates. And she's like, no, we're just skates, Yeah.
2: I heard you had a Dorothy Hamill doll. I did.
3: <laughs> yes. So she was my big idol when I started. And, it kind of knew what the Olympics were, kind of didn't, but she had the cute little red skating dress on and I would sit her on the little rail there at the rink and pretend she was watching me.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so great. It
3: pretty fun. I'm like, oh, I think I still have that Dorothy Hamill doll too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then you did pairs for a long time with Rudy Galindo. Mm-hmm. Talk about that, because one thing I was struck by in preparing for this was that you skated pairs like for a really long time, up until very close to when you won your gold medal in singles. And I was wondering, is that common for someone to to be doing both things for the extent, the amount of time that you did it?
3: not at that extent I mean we started when we were I was 11 he was 13 he had just oh won gosh. the, yeah so we were I think because we were both two tiny little kids at the rink someone's like oh how cute would they be if they skated together um and he had just won the novice national championship so already you know had this trajectory of incredible talent and uh so we just were having fun as little kids skating together and We had a really great coach and made it fun. And before we knew it, we were at the U.S. Nationals. And then we were coming up in the ranks and then, you know, made it to the Junior World Championships. So I think, you know, we were having fun and didn't quite know, you know. Good thing we were young and had the energy to do. He was, we were both doing singles and the pairs at the same time at that point. Um, So it was kind of rare. I mean, especially to, uh, be competing at the world junior level in both disciplines. Um, and yeah. then eventually at the world level. I
2: mean, you're saying competing, but you won the junior worlds, the two yeah. of you in 1988. <laughs> right. And then yeah. you won the U S nationals, right? The two of yes.
3: you as well. Yes. Yeah. We were two <laughs> so ter- pair titles than I do singles titles in the U S.
2: <laughs> but you, you did feel like you, yes. at some point you had to choose if you were going to I see.
3: Yeah. yeah, it was tough. It, we had skated together for seven years. And at the 1990 World Championships, um, Halifax. Mm-hmm. Um, You're uh, referring Canada. to my Canadian background. Yes. <laughs> and it was a really tough competition. I, uh, we were still competing in the compulsory figures at the time. And I competed five days in a row between oh you know, singles and the pairs. And I didn't perform well in either one. I was just exhausted and I think we placed fifth as a pair team and looking at the teams who were in front of us, we knew we would never crack into the, the top. Fifth was probably as high as we would ever go and uh, you know, it was there where I was kind of stunned when a, a skating official approached me and said, you need to choose one event now. You can't keep doing two. And we really feel that you need to go into singles, you know, or just focus on the
2: singles. Can I ask you about one of the coaches that you and Rudy had, who I understand was Mabel Fairbanks. Mm -hmm. And I had recently learned about Mabel Fairbanks because um, KQED and PBS, they're doing another series of their dance documentary, If Cities Could Dance. And they're talking about Mabel Fairbanks, Mm -hmm. a a black woman figure skater who was denied the opportunity to compete because of her race. And when I heard that she also um, coached the two of you, I was really, really struck by that. In fact, just to give our viewers um, and audience today just a sense of Mabel, I'd love to just play a little bit of a clip from uh, this next series. And, and it'll start with, um, with Joel Savory in Washington, DC. He's a figure skater and coach and founder of this Diversify ICE mm-hmm. organization. Um, and he'll be, talking, he'll, be, he'll be sharing a little bit of the background of Mabel Fairbanks in case anybody um, isn't familiar.
1: Hi, my name is Joel Savery and I'm the founder of Diversify Ice Foundation. I'm in Washington, D.C. here at the Sculpture Garden. And this is If Cities Could Dance. Growing up, I used to and just love watching the Olympics with my family, but theaters of color, skating was one of those things that you simply just did not see.
0: My discovery, my foundation, my beginnings originated with this black skater coach, Mabel Fairbanks. Early
1: 1967,
3: my mom was searching for coaches and someone recommended Mabel. If it weren't for her, we wouldn't be having this conversation.
0: She would watch the ice skaters in New York during the winter time.
3: She would do anything to get on the
2: ice.
0: So she wasn't a refined, typical figure skater. A lot of her influence did come from dancers like Pearl Primus. Katherine Dunham, since she was denied many years in New York, not being able to compete competitively because of her color, she saw this opportunity to nurture, to inspire, and open that door for minority skaters through me. I wasn't even allowed in a figure skating club. She fought for me to get in those clubs.
3: All of her children left to go to that higher level coach, but Mabel gave us everything she had. She gave us blood, sweat, and tears to make
1: it to that national level. What really made me dig deeper into that story was seeing my story in that story.
2: Yay! Does that bring back memories for you? It does. Working with. Mabel Farrell.
3: Oh she uh had so much spunk, and uh so, so she knew my our coach uh Jim Hulick well, and also I think how it happened was through Thai Babylonia because Ty and Randy were mentors for Rudy and I, uh-huh. and we worked with them uh on and off and and obviously they were inspiration um and then. We worked with Mabel uh, many times and she uh, had a flair about her as you can see I mean she just uh, took the shows and just commanded the ice and that's really what she was teaching us to do like how to perform and you know how to really bring the audience in and finish like in skating obviously it is like dance where you know, in pairs, you, you got to match, your synchronization, all of that is so key. And um, she was so good with all those fine details and, and just really bringing, trying to bring out, I guess, the, the personality of each of the skaters.
2: I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to my conversation with Olympic gold medalist, Christy Yamaguchi, which was recorded on February 25th at KQED in San Francisco for KQED's Forum Live series. We'll have more of our conversation after the break. This is Forum.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. You've been listening to my conversation with Olympic gold medalist and philanthropist, Christy Yamaguchi, taped late last month as part of KQED's Forum Live series. We've been talking about her Olympic memories, this year's Winter Games, controversies and all, and the world of figure skating from her era to now. Let's listen. We have a question from the audience. How can we make figure skating more equitable? It is a really hard, expensive, requires a lot of sacrifice kind of sport, right? It's tough. That's a tough one.
3: Um, yes, because it, we're not subsidized by the government or anything. So it's really each individual family who are supporting that, the athlete yeah. and it's And you would it's apply tough. for grants and things. You just, can apply for grants. And I think, you know, what's yeah. great about, um, seeing this show, uh, diversify ice, I think is one of the first big Uh, notable organizations to really step up and take this mission on and really connect skaters, promising up-and-coming skaters with scholarship opportunities. And, um, you know, that's the only way I think that we can bring more um, diversity into our sport.
2: What did you think about the New York Times piece that got a lot of pushback because they were saying that Asian Americans are over represented in mm. figure skating and yeah. I think after that they tried to kind of explain it and correct it and even maybe you mm-hmm. know remove it I can't quite remember but
1: what do you think
3: about I, it? I, I, I don't I have to admit I didn't read the full article but the, obviously the headline caught my <laughs> attention and I was just like um yeah that is not a, a a nice headline to have overrepresented." um yeah but uh you know I think it's just it's so great to have these positive role models on the u s Olympic team for future generations, no matter you know what they look like and uh but yeah i I think it's there's still work to do in figure skating as far as diversity so i I'm proud that the Asian Americans are you know leading the way and hopefully you know you know gaining momentum for uh, other people of color to be able to take part, you know, and and have success in our sport.
2: Yeah, there was, uh, there were other pieces that we're talking about. You know, f- for example, Chloe Kim was the skateboarding champion, um, and Eileen Gu, who is from the Bay Area, represented China. But that, you know, really, what, that you know, Chloe was talking about how after Pyeongchang, after she won gold there, she would, you know, still get. All kinds of terrible trolling and terrible mm-hmm. um, hate mail and things, and that it was only when you know she was winning medals did she feel like she was seen as american and then I was reading about your post ninety two medal and how like after the olympics there's sponsorships there's you know your there's all these product endorsements mm-hmm. that you um you do, you're do. you just really sought after uh, for so many things. And there, was a, there were articles that noted that you seemed to get less of that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. Would you agree?
3: Um, I mean, I know there, that was a focus in the media at the time. And whether I felt that or not, hard to say, because I, I didn't know what to expect uh, yeah, after the Olympics. And um, I think a lot of it stemmed from just the strained... Uh, US-Japan relations at the time, and because I have a Japanese surname, it it was like, oh, I think that's, you know, damaging her marketability, Um, and, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I'm skating professional, I'm like, you know, have other things to worry about other than waiting for endorsements to come in, so let's keep the -hmm. focus there. Um, but yeah, it it was talked about a lot. And I think it was hard not to kind of be like, well, maybe, but you know, I, you can't dwell on that or, or, you know, uh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Or I think it was at the junior worlds when you won and there were in the individual. Oh yeah. (laughs) And there were two other uh, skaters from Japan who also, uh, medaled. And they were delaying the podium ceremony because they were looking for a third Japanese flag. They they thought you were from Japan.
3: Yes, yeah. So we were waiting and waiting. We're like, wow, it's taking so long. Like, this is just, yeah. And one of the organizers was like, oh, they're trying to find another Japanese flag. And I looked at her and I was like, I am American. (laughs) Like, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, so... uh, yeah that was a little you know like, what no, I'm u s a like find stars and stripes, please yeah, uh, yeah
2: no that it is it's it's an incredible moment, and you know it's amazing how much these things just keep coming back in cycles, you know <laughs> they have to constantly be addressed, and the only hope is that the the spiral is moving upward. Um, we have a lot more questions coming in from the audience. Judy asks. Tell us more about the children's books you've written and Dream Foundation. Thank you, Judy. I'm so glad because that was one of the places that I wanted to go with you next. So you have this incredible Olympic career and you've now become, um, you did Dancing with the Stars. You done, I mean, we could <laughs> list off all the things, but one of the things that you've really um, put your energy and passion towards is, is children's literacy. So, so talk a little bit about Always Dream and why that became so important for you.
3: Yes, so Always Dreams organization um, established in 1996. So we're actually, uh, because of COVID, still celebrating our 25th anniversary (laughs) this year. And um, it's, you know, it was something that was inspired by, you know, the values my parents instilled in my brother and sister and I of giving back. And, you know, having been so fortunate to go after my dreams, you know, what can I do I really wanted to inspire other kids to go after their dreams and have the opportunity and provide whatever resources I could to help kids go after their dreams. So um, through the years, we did various things. The last uh, 10 years, we really focused in on early literacy, knowing that if a child doesn't have that fundamental base of uh, the love of books, the love of reading, then um, they you know, it's, it's really hard to grow from there. And so we'll, we're all about getting uh, access to books, high quality books for low income families mm. in kindergarten. We, we focus on preschool and kindergarten and making sure they also have family engagement support. So really uh, getting the families involved, setting the time aside, uh, giving them uh, wow. strategies and tips um, to build their literacy skills with their child at home and and just to engage with them. I mean, to sit there and read to your child is probably one of the greatest gifts you can give them.
2: Yeah. Um, you're holding up the book there <laughs> in that image that, that we're looking at. It's called Kara's Kindness? Yes. Kara's Kindness. Kara's Kindness. So when was this done? Was it in 2016
3: I think this was yeah, it was more like twenty sixteen and uh, it it's a fun book, you know. I've always loved the idea of passing it forward, passing mm-hmm. you know, passing kindness forward. So that's what this is all about and it's really hopefully helps kids realize that it doesn't take a, a lot to just be a good friend to someone and one small act of kindness can really make a huge difference in their lives and then eventually we'll come back to you and you know, I think we can never hear it enough. And it's, you know, a
2: good thing to instill in our, our kids as young as we can. <laughs> this person wants to know, can there be longevity in the sport? What do you think about the sport having people peak as teenagers? Professional tennis careers have been getting longer, for one, and benefiting from new technologies. Is that possible in figure skating? Um,
3: and I'm assuming this is directed more towards women's figure skating because there is long, more longevity, I think, in the men's uh, side of skating, uh, as we saw Nathan going after yeah, two Olympics. Yeah, why is that? Be- no. um, I mean, it just physiologically, uh, the men keep getting stronger and stronger into their 20s, and so their ability to do the triple jumps, the quad jumps, um and just maturing as a skater is just greater the longer they're in the Mm. sport. Um, And for the woman's side, the scoring system now, which was implemented in 2003, um, I think it has really swung the pendulum to the side of the technical side, really.
2: So the jumping.
3: Yes, because it's a points-based system now where every element you do, whether it's a little turn on the ice to a spin to a jump, has a value. And, you know, it, you, you, it, a quad is just worth so many points. Um, even if you rotate the quad and fall, you can possibly still get more points for that than just doing a triple jump um, if it's all the way rotated. And so it's, you know, the reward system of it, you know, g- encourages, right. That amazing, uh, technical ability, which is, um, I mean, honestly, I, mathematically, I'm not sure how these young skaters are doing quads already. <laughs> it yeah. just seems like how capable they are is, is it, it, it's beyond my comprehension, but they're able to do it. Um, but I, you know, history has shown that no one over the age of 17 has landed a quad in competition so do you think it, 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 on p- the woman's side.
2: Do you think it pushes them to be much harder on their bodies at an earlier age? And that could,
3: um, it's, yes, it pushes them to be harder. And, you know, I mean,
2: it,
3: when you go through changes and your bodies go through changes, you know, say puberty if for a woman, um, you're you have to readjust every time you your body changes and that small adjustment is maybe all it takes to maybe lose that extra edge to to complete four revolutions in the air
2: there are some questions that are coming up like where is figure skating going next can anyone compete with the russians
3: (laughs) i think so for sure yes um one, maybe maybe they won't be in competition for a while. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think there needs to be some consequences for their history of uh, doping. And two, um, our own Alyssa Liu. She's from Richmond, California, just down the street. Um, she's completed quad, quadruple jumps in competition mm-hmm. as a clean athlete, and... Uh, the triple Axel at the Olympics. Um, so, you know, I think for sure, um, you know, the women can can compete with the quads uh, and and rival the Russians. And I think even the skaters from Japan showed at the Olympics this year that uh, technically and artistically they can compete as well.
2: Yeah. This is an interesting question. Um, What has improved since you were competing? What is something you are nostalgic for that's been lost? So much has
3: improved. (laughs) You know, it's so great to see each generation right evolve the sport into something uh, bigger and better. Um, Obviously, technically, things have evolved and and improved. I think skaters' spins have improved. you know, one positive for the the points in the judging system. I think what I'm nostalgic for is because they're going after points, the skaters are doing as much as they can in the four minutes they're given to get all the points and with the least amount, I mean, I wouldn't say the least amount of effort, but maybe, you know, if the same things get the same points, but this is a little easier, they're going to go for that. And so you're seeing just busy programs. Like, I don't see a lot of skaters skating to the music and the emotion coming, um, you know, the simple edge that say Dorothy Hamill did um, wouldn't get very many points these days. So you don't see just the pure simplicity, which is sometimes harder um, to sustain than, you know, the busy footwork and constant moves that you see so I do you know uh in pair skating the lifts are just like five positions in one lift where you know the beauty of like one sustained position is you don't see anymore um Mm. so sometimes you know more is not more I don't think
2: (laughs) your your daughter skated for a while and as I and I remember seeing images images here's images of you and your your (laughs) she's taller than me now (laughs) But has, you know, decided to, to do other things as well. And are you, were you relieved or are you, like, would you want, given everything and all the expectations and the physical demands? Like... You
3: know, it was really for fun with her. And, um, you know, she really had fun with it. And, it, you know, I think it, it ran its course. I could see towards the end that she wasn't getting the joy from it anymore. Um, it was never ever super highly competitive for her. She was competing and she was progressing really well. Um, but, you know, the competition just wasn't for her. And, um, you know, she, she just quit, uh, stopped skating in September the last year. And it was tough. You know, through the pandemic, there was the rinks were closed, you know. And for a 13, 14-year-old, your uh, interests change, right? It, there's just a lot to compete with um, as someone starting high school. So, you know, it's the typical time we, we lose a lot of skaters in our sport. Um, but yeah, I, I was, you know, happy when she did it and a little frustrated too, (laughs) but at the same time, um, you know, I knew it wasn't her passion. So I was like, okay, you gotta let it go and let her find whatever her path is.
2: Yeah. Do you ever want to put your skates back on? Like, or when, I mean, I'm sure you, but when you're watching the Olympics or watching mm. these skaters, are you ever just like, I, I just,
3: yeah, oh I mean, there, I, there's, there's things about it that you're just like, oh, I wish I could still do that. Or, you know, so that's such a great feeling when you just like nail that jump and you're like, yes. <laughs> uh, so th- there are times for sure. I think everyone would say that like they miss being able to do what they used to be able to do. And sometimes you think, oh, yeah, I could still do a spiral. And then it's like, "Uh, no, wait, is my leg up? And it's like, no. (laughs) So it's like, okay, yeah, it's time for the young ones to just take over.
2: When you look at that time, though, and yeah, this is my last question. But when you look at that time, you did, you accomplished so much. It's it's just this incredible feat at a young age. And it's amazing. And, you know, (laughs) always in life we look ahead the best is yet to come but do you ever think wow like that was like the greatest (laughs) thing ever (laughs) yeah
3: I mean I am you know I think my lucky stars every day I think um that things turned out the way they did and just take everything in um and, and grateful for it for sure um because you know you you just never know which way your life is going to go and um so so yeah i think at 20 it was a little daunting to say like, okay now what like what can top this or it can't be downhill from there right <laughs> but i think that's something that always dream has given me it's given me a new passion a new challenge um, to really look forward to and you know get up every day and try to make a difference and hopefully leave even a bigger legacy there as far as the impact that maybe I could have on other, other people's lives than, than the gold medal. (laughs) Christy Yamaguchi.
2: (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to my conversation with figure skater, Olympic gold medalist and philanthropist Christy Yamaguchi taped on February 25th as part of KQED's forum live series. This program was produced and edited for Forum by Ariana Prail and produced for KQED Live by Lance Gardner and Sarah Rose Leonard. Our venue operations team includes director Danny Skarka, Ryan Peters, Jonathan Gutoff, Mike Thompson, and Rob Neth. Our event engineer is Jim Bennett, with additional engineering by Danny Bringer. The executive director of KQED Live is Ryan Davis. Our executive editor is Ethan tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Have a great weekend.